0: Do you want to be aware of what happens in this crazy world we live in? Do you want to know about all the political scandals and listen to some unbiased analysis? Welcome to World of Politics, the program where your opinion matters. Every Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM.
1: Hello everyone! Today is Tuesday and it's time to speak about some world politics issues and we will do it for you today in three of us here are Julia
0: Andrei
2: and Juan
1: good morning and well let me introduce a bit the idea of this program cuz sometimes we know that <laughs> ideas come to us unexpectedly <laughs> yeah and you know that i don't like all this political stuff i'm not as strong in it maybe as you guys but you will help me today, I hope, and I will help to you. Uh, so I really love reading some interesting facts about the key figures in the history. And that's how this topic came to my mind. Yes, I love to start with the pre prehistory So when I was little, I think seven years old, I remember the film, and maybe Yon will correct me if... It is right, La Dame de monserrat Am I right? Do you know this? It is the novel written by Alexander Dumas.
2: Maybe I, I don't have understand exactly what uh, the, the film is, but uh, I guess it's possible. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so just b- because in Russian it's uh, Grafina de Monsoreau, or in English it will be the Countess de Monsoreau. So today we will try to speak all the possible languages. And uh, while I'm talking about this film, I remembered all this not political but all this stuff connected with the court and with the kings. And in fact, this story was more about the love, but as for me it was more interesting to watch all these duels between Mignons of the French king and of Francois d'Anjou. So that's how how this topic came to my mind, and today we are gonna talk about some dynasties, maybe mm. dynasties which influenced that much on the history that now everyone knows about them. Who has the idea?
2: Yeah, for following what you say, it's interesting because the France is one of the first countries that become a kingdom with the the king effect. And uh, it's also one of the first countries that uh, have abolished uh, the king with the revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, for this reason, uh, I will talk about the dynasty uh, of Bourbon. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, one of the most powerful uh, houses in France. They have lasted for many uh, centuries. And uh, I will talk about uh, four personalities that uh, are uh, important in the house of Bourbon.
1: And Sorian, Bourbons were reigning for 300 years. Am I right?
2: From uh, just like Romanovs, uh-huh. from uh, the fourteenth <laughs> century until the Revolution in oh, French yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the eighteenth century.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. So I have chosen uh, choose uh, four personalities that uh, are uh, important uh, in the House de Bourbon. It was uh, Henry IV. Mm-hmm. and uh, I will talk a bit later about the details. Louis XIV, it was uh, famous for being the most uh, cruel and uh, the most powerful uh, king in France. And uh, also Louis XVI, it was the king that uh, have, uh, fell uh, during the revolution. And uh, the last king is uh, Charles X. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Charles X is known uh, uh, for being the last king in uh, France uh, after Napoleon and uh, Napoleon was uh, a reaction against the revolution and uh, it was not in the house de Bourbon but it was a uh, tyrannical uh, personality too. But uh, uh, ten, is a reaction uh, against the reign of uh, Napoleon and the revolution and uh, go back to uh, this uh, absolutism.
1: Okay, it's interesting because I'm gonna talk about the Valois dynasty and Valois were before Bourbons. Valois started in four 14th century and they ended in 16th century so okay we have two french and Andrea what about george
0: and i'm going to speak about the ottoman dynasty why did i choose it because first i was thinking about picking the maybe rurik or romanov dynasty but then i thought that it would be too boring for me to speak about russian dynasties and i found something that actually connects Hungary, Turkey and Russia in once is the mm-hmm. Ottoman Empire that had wars with both Hungary and especially with Russia. I think Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire are the two countries that had the most wars. And it's always funny to me when in nowadays Russia propaganda tries to tell us like Turkish people are our friends. They have always been our friends. <laughs> and first part I can agree with, but the second part it's like Mm. We were always at war with them, so... (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) but it's really cool that I didn't think about Ottomans, but I love also reading about them, about some, not all the dynasties, but some of, not kings, they had sultans and Turkish culture and Turkish, I think, political figures were connected very strongly and I will listen to you with very, very much interest. But okay, Yon, maybe you can start because you was so rush today <laughs>
2: Yeah, just a good choice for André because <laughs> uh, the Ottoman was uh, really the golden age of uh, Arabish world uh, war mm-hmm. with yeah. uh, Constantinople and uh, that is
1: Yeah, so two people who've chosen French history and <laughs> we are friends of, yeah, <laughs> of Turkey Okay, so let's try Let's move on
2: Yeah, so uh, the House de Bourbon has begin in uh, the Middle Age. Where uh, some uh, kings uh, were in place, but uh, it was not uh, in a political way. Uh, I mean, uh, in the Middle Age, uh, you have just uh, some king in some uh, local place, but not mm. for all uh, the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: And uh, it's the difference with uh, the fact to have a kingdom. And after the this, uh, Dynasty have uh, grown uh, up. And uh, the first uh, important king uh, in uh, this house, they have uh, a lot of children with uh, a lot of branches. You have mm-hmm. the official uh, family of uh, mm-hmm. Bourbon and uh, you have some branches with the uh, bourbon parm and uh, stuff uh, like this and uh, yes it's uh, like a uh, game of thrones in fact but uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. and uh, so uh, the first important thing that have a role uh, in all the country and uh, mm-hmm. not uh, just in a local place it's uh, henry four and uh, henry IV is uh, famous uh, ah, in some place
1: henry he was yeah. from navarre uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah
2: and uh, you have uh, also the most uh, a little school in France uh, that, that have the name uh, Henri IV.
1: Uh-huh, yeah.
2: And uh, I saw Henri de Bourbon is born in, uh, in the 16th century, and uh, he's famous because he's Protestant, and yeah. it was a religious war between the Protestant and the Catholic, but he wasn't Protestant, and after that, uh, the Protestant was uh, persecuted by the Catholic, and also he don't have uh, the poem, And uh, he have accepted to renounce uh, of being uh, a Protestant uh, person to become a Catholic. And he's famous because uh, he was able to uh, to join this uh, conflict because it was uh, Protestant before.
1: Yes, and I think he was in fact like Protestant because we know that he was forced to have this marriage with the Queen Margot. Margot was the sister of. Shall the nine? So it was the previous dynasty, blah, blah. And uh, yes, while he was living in the courtyard, he was in fact in prison because he was like controlled by. Caterina Medici and the current kings of France. But later, yes, he made really great things for the country.
2: Yeah, exactly. uh, you know better than me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. It's just my interest. I'm just listening.
2: (laughs) And uh, yes, he is also famous for uh, his war against uh, Spain. And, uh, but uh, because, uh, yes, uh, the, the fact of a king is uh, to conquer uh, other territory and uh, when uh, they, they win war, uh, they become more famous and uh, it's how uh, the feudal age work. But uh, what is interesting it uh, really the uh, capacity to have make peace uh, between the Protestants and uh, the Catholics yeah. in France mm-hmm. and uh, so with uh, this peace, uh, the kingdom uh, becomes uh, rich.
1: And I think it was important because when uh, any kingdom has these wars between people who are in different kind of religions, countries are really get tired of it and at one moment somebody (laughs) should finish it. So that's why we can say thanks to Henri IV and yeah, it's very important thing. I will also tell later a bit about this Catholic wars and Huguenots wars, but about the Spanish war I didn't know, you so I, I'm not as specialist as you. What else about Because the,
2: the war, the, the Spain was Catholic and also the reason of the war of uh, Spain is uh, to allow uh, the Protestant to exist uh, officially mm-hmm. and also it's uh, one of the reasons of uh, the conflict and uh, this uh, war was successful because after that uh, there was the peace uh, as uh, we have said uh, between uh, this conflict and uh, so the economy had gone up and, uh, and uh, it was uh, also involved uh, in the colonization in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with uh, Christophe Colomb
1: Oh yeah, by the way
2: and uh, he don't have uh, children and uh, his end was uh, really tragic because he was murdered by a guy François oh. Rabillac yeah. and uh, he don't have uh, children and uh, so it's uh, another kingdom of the house that becomes uh, the king and uh, it's uh, the beginning of the, of the Louis uh, because there was mm-hmm. a lot of Louis and uh, it's Yes the beginning of <laughs>
1: So Henry the Fourth, he didn't have children, yes. And who was the next after him?
2: Uh, uh, Louis team, but uh, it's uh-huh. a big house.
1: Uh-huh. It's,
2: uh, because it's uh, a bit more complex. Just uh, that uh, one, uh, just one branch, It's really uh, yes. a lot of branches, And uh, yeah. if you don't have uh, children, you have the, the children of uh, somebody close in the yes. house, and you mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. have uh, the throne.
1: A lot of people who wanted to get the throne, so yes, you were right about the Game of Thrones and really, (laughs) when I was preparing also, I was sure that it would be so easy for me because I love reading these stories, I have read this uh, trilogy by Dumas about Valois but no, it was so complicated because you are the king but you have the son or you don't have the son and you have their brothers, sisters, but okay, it's not for women that time I mean raining but still lots of different neighbors, neighborhoods and relatives and everyone wants to get the throne, so it is really getting more complicated when you are going deep into the history. But okay, we finished with Henri the fourth. What about Louise? Louis so, the Fourteen. Louis 14 uh-huh. is the
2: most famous king in France because he is called the king's king son. Why he is famous is because it was a really welcoming. He had the throne at the age of five years. Oh. And the he was uh, help uh, with uh, some persons that uh, advised him uh, to how to rule, but uh, he was really in, uh, authoritarian, and uh, it was the beginning of the absolutism because uh, it was uh, he is called uh, the the king of uh, sun because uh, he is directly uh, the incarnation of God, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so what he say uh, you cannot uh, say uh, no if uh, you don't agree with him. <coughs>
1: just oh. died <laughs> 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 mm, Yes, very welcoming <laughs>
2: He has a role... Uh all uh, his life, because uh, in this period uh, the life uh, was more difficult uh, you can uh, die with a simple disease or uh, with yeah. nothing mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it was more difficult to become adult a lot of uh, children uh, died, yeah. but uh, it was not uh, his case
1: he was like you, we can say yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, yes, he's is now really for his cruelty uh, and uh, he had a lot of uh, women And uh, it was uh, famous because uh, it has built uh, the castle uh, Versailles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Versailles is really famous because you you can see gold everywhere, uh, everything. Mm -hmm. is really, really expensive Mm -hmm. and it's really a museum today. And uh, when you visit uh, Versailles, uh, you you can see uh, also that, that uh, was a secret room mm-hmm. because uh, the, uh, the, the King of the Sun has a lot of uh, mistresses, so he he, uh, he make uh, some uh, tunnel uh, into the, the room connected each other to mm-hmm. to meet uh, uh, <laughs> every. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that
1: uh, each king had special rooms and tunnels for different purposes, not only for this. Of course, yeah, there <laughs> is also a
0: legend of Amber Room in somewhere, yeah, room, yeah,
1: in yeah. Russian, yeah, yeah. So, so. why not? <laughs> but it's interesting to know more about these secrets of the kings, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. And so, uh, why he's famous is because he is known uh, for having the, the most powerful uh, army uh, and uh, to have uh, dominated Europe during this period. He has uh, won uh, a lot of uh, war and uh, before uh, the, the end of uh, his reign, uh, he has uh, now only one defeat uh, with the Treaty of uh, week in uh, the end of uh, 17th century. Mm-hmm. And after the Kingdom of France become a, a bit more uh, in reduction than before because uh, the France during this period has uh, grown uh, a lot and. Uh, Yes, for the end, uh, he accepts the testament of uh, Charles II for being his little uh, king, the uh, Duc d'Anjou. We uh, have uh, owned the Spain, but uh, this uh, decision is the beginning of a war uh, with all the Europe against the France. And uh, so the end of uh, Louis XIV is the end of the, the Golden Age of royalty in, uh, in France. -hmm. And uh, the the period became a a bit more complex after that.
1: But still, once yes, after him. Yeah, yeah, yes, Mm -hmm.
2: because uh, but he is now because uh, all the west part of the Europe was uh, in uh, his control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of his reign, he has uh, lost that with uh, because of uh, his defeat. And uh, I will uh, continue with uh, Louis uh, 16. Mm-hmm.
1: And by the way, the question: So Louis the 14th. Louis sixteenth. I mean, just where was Louis the 15th? No, no,
2: there is a more many uh, Yes, kings. yes, yes.
1: I mean, when yes. I'm thinking about the Louis, I'm thinking about fourteenth and XVI, yes. Mm-hmm. But you never think about other Louis like, yeah, okay, where are they? <laughs> uh. Yeah,
2: he's not uh, so famous uh, because uh, it's also the reason that a lot of uh, kings uh, just uh, die uh, uh-huh. after five years. Oh, there, yes, or, yes. So Louis XVI is the uh, opposite of uh, Louis XIV. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he has, uh, lived uh, in uh, Versailles, in the castle. And he's a little uh, children of, uh, Louis uh, 15, and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he's a woman. And why he's famous is because his destiny was not uh, to being uh, a king because he mm-hmm. was too nice and he was too, uh, too in, uh, in, uh, in the mood. Uh, I don't know how to say that. It was not, uh, his decision was uh, absurd mm-hmm. and, uh, he, some people said he preferred to uh, repair the, the clock than uh, ah. to govern the, the country
1: <laughs> so he wasn't ready like to be a politician one but he was more than, like inventor maybe or kind of that yes. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah so the the fact to govern the the kingdom was not uh, his cup of tea because he had a, <laughs> a, a no connection with people. Uh, yeah. with people. yeah uh, with terror, with uh, sympathy, he he was just in his mood. And uh, so it's the beginning of the revolution, and the end of uh, the dynasty of uh, the De Bourbon in the history, uh, after he has continued, but it's a bit more complex, and now uh, it's the end of the Golden Age, uh, in case. Yes, uh, because uh, a lot uh, during this period uh, people uh, complain about the fact uh, that uh, the noble person uh, have the point the and there is no justification mm-hmm. for this pole mm-hmm. And it's the beginning beginning of uh, also the golden age in the philosophy in France with mm-hmm. uh, some uh, Voltaire Rousseau and all the philosophers that have uh, demolished uh, the idea of uh, royalty. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the king known uh, uh, for being uh, the origin of the révolution uh, and was uh, uh, murdered by a guillotine. Mm. Mm. Yeah. and uh, some fact uh, it's uh, that uh, his wife uh, has uh, said uh, when people uh, want uh, some bread uh, that uh, they can have uh, brioche I don't know if uh, it's uh, not bread but a better than bread and so people will uh, become uh, more angry uh, mm. after that and, um, and it was a difficult period uh, in economic way because uh, we, uh, I can make an history of uh, the, the revolution period, but uh, it's not the subject. And, <laughs> okay, uh,
1: let's keep a bit here. Yeah. Revolution is so boring, I think. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> no, yeah, it's And
2: yes, so it's, uh, it's what, uh, there was also the, the assembly of uh, the, the tier uh, state the free uh, state mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. poor people the the bourgeoisie mm-hmm. and the nun. and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, chaotic and uh, and after that uh, the the king have uh, fall
1: oh yeah so complicated history but still i think the same problems as always we have this unfairness between the rich people and the poor people some of the kings are really coming great politicians and some unfortunately just fall, but okay. Maybe Andrea, you can like <laughs> make some break between our French, French discussion. Yes,
0: yeah, why um, not? I will speak about the Ottoman dynasty as I already said. And what's interesting about this dynasty, the dynasties in other countries were changing throughout the years.
2: Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm.
0: in, in France or Russia, is the same the dynasty mm-hmm. changed, but in Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman dynasty was ruling. From 12.99 to 19.22. Yes. Yes, it's a magical, (laughs) magical numbers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the way, um I'm. not so far ago, I've passed some tests on the internet, and yes, the question was about the first president of Turkey, uh, when he was ruling, and I was thinking that, okay, president, maybe eight, 19th century, like 18 something, and then I've read that, by the way, Ottoman Empire existed till, yes, as you oh. said, 1922, so mm-hmm. it was the period of sultans, and yes. it's really impressive.
0: So the Ottoman dynasty was made up of the members of the imperial house of Osman, also known as Ottomans. According to Ottoman tradition, the family originated from Kayi tribe, branch of August Turks, under Osman I, in Northwest Anatolia in the district of Bilecik, Shugut. and the Ottoman dynasty is actually named after the first person who mm-hmm. originated this dynasty, the Osman I. Which is interesting, actually, because uh, in Russian language we say that it's like Osman, yes, Osman'ska okay. Imperia, but in English language it's Ottoman. Ottoman.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, even though the, the founder of the dynasty was Osman. So let's speak about Osman I, who is also known as Osman Gazi. He was born somewhere around 1258 and died somewhere around 1323. He was the founder and the first sultan of the Ottoman B League, which would rise to eventually become the Ottoman Empire. He was the ruler of a small Turkish principality among many in the Anatolian region of Bithynia and through a series of victories against Byzantine Empire would lay the foundation for his ancestors to build an empire spanning three continents lasting centuries and leaving its influence in the Middle East, Balkans and the world. Yeah, uh, the other thing that I forgot to mention Ottoman Empire actually was the one who destroyed the Byzantine Empire which mm, was yes, a big yes. big big center of the Orthodox culture and maybe Russians somehow have to say thank you to Ottoman Empire for doing that because after that Russian Empire started to become the, this Orthodox center to which all other Orthodox and mm-hmm. Slavic countries were gathering around but let's continue with the Osman the first on 26 August 1071 the byzantine empire was defeated by seljuk turks under the command of alp arslan it's some background
1: sorry Mm, yeah yeah it's okay because you know i love to give backgrounds also (laughs) at the
0: battle of manzikert the defeat was a major strategic loss for the byzantines in anatolia which opened the gates for its eventual conquest in colonization the seljuks were a confederation of ethnics of goods Turkish tribes a nomadic people tracing their origins to the uh, steppes of Central Asia and who was converted to Islam Mm -hmm. the Seljuks had considerable success in Anatolia and in the Middle East in the years following Manzikert. It's interesting because Hungary was uh, occupied by Turkey you can see some Turkish words and some detour. We were walking with my Turkish friend in Budapest and she saw the which mm-hmm. is translated from uh, hungarian like turkish bistro something yes, like that uh-huh. it shows like it's turkish language it's not hungarian it's turkish
1: yeah <laughs> uh, turkish people influenced lots of empires actually from
0: the Siljok, as i already said had considerable success in Anatolia and the middle east in the years following manziker However, due to internal power struggles, conflicts with crusaders, and the emergence of the Mongols, the Seljuks in Anatolia rebranded first into the Sultanate of Rome in 1081 and fractured into several principalities known as Beyliks, and among those many Beyliks was Osman's dominion. Unfortunately, information about Osman's early life is scarce. Mm -hmm. Outside of contemporary Byzantine accounts of his battles with the forces, records of his life were, for the most part, written posthumously at the behest of Ottoman sultan centuries later. Osman, as I already said, was born circa 1258 in the city of Shogut, located in the northwestern Anatolia region of Bithynia. His father was Ertugrul, a chieftain from the Khali tribe under the command of Seljuks. He was awarded pasturing lands in Bithynia by the Sultan of Seljuks for his strife's distinguished service. In his youth, Osman married Malhun, the daughter of Sheikh Edebali, a prominent local Sufi cleric and close confidant of his late father. Edebali himself was initially reluctant to give his daughter's hand in marriage to Osman however he changed his mind after hearing Osman recount what he believed was a prophesizing dream Mm. that's interesting Mm -hmm. deciding the political (laughs) uh, political situation in your tribes by just speaking about some prophecy (laughs) that you saw in the dream but yeah that's how it was in this mythological dream he saw a moon rise then deep into Edebali's chest Mm -hmm. with a tree sprouting from it and probably providing people with shade and streams of water. Edibly believed this prophesied Osman's prosperous future empire. Scholar of Ottoman studies, Carolyn Finkel, emphasizes First communicated in the form in the later 15th century, a century and a half after Osman's death in about 1323, this dream became one of the most resilient founding myths of the empire conjuring up a sense of temporal and divine authority and justifying the visible success of osman and his descendants and the expense of their competitors for territory and power in the Balkans, anatolia and beyond actually this dream was also like the base of this legend that the uh, power is given to the ruler by the god mm, so yes, people, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah that the ruler thanks to God saw this prophecy that he should rule.
1: And by the way, uh, yes, we know that Turkish people has strong influence by their religion. And I think that's why, by the way, why Osmans were living so long. I mean, their dynasty was yeah. reigning. Because they had kind of strict uh, rules, strict laws. For example, we know that you are a sultan, but you have five children. And when these children grow up, one who was the first, he should kill all his brothers. To. not to, yes uh, in order not to have the enemies mm-hmm. so like that's why the throne was like absolutely yours but this situation actually changed in the time of reigning the Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent
2: mm-hmm. it
1: was in 16th century if I'm not mistaken but okay that's just I'm <laughs> trying to understand how it works yes because we see that yeah
0: they they're they're also really traditional people yeah, so yeah and yeah. tradition is one of the things that that can stick like a glue in yes. the nation together with the ruler so yes yeah. that's
1: how they preserve yes their dynasty okay
0: following the death of his father at Tugru in circa 1280 osman took command of the tribe and organized his forces for conflict with byzantines his first order of business was to establish three Ujbei frontier commanders, the Ujbei were each responsible for border districts and were in charge of rallying light cavalry raiders to fight enemy forces before the regular army engaged them. Later in the Ottoman military history, these irregular troops would evolve to be known as Akinchi. And were not paid by the state, but were there other compensated, but whatever they could loot in enemy territories. That's actually really convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Byzantine hegemony in Bithynia evaporated in thirteen oh two when Osman and his forces defeated the Byzantines at the Battle of Batheus near the Sea of Marmara. The outcome of the battle allowed Osman to consolidate his hold on the countryside leaving many major Byzantine cities within striking distance. In the following years, Osman would regroup in yeni Shahir and continue absorbing small settlements into his fledgling principality. Eventually, in 1308, he completely isolated the Bithynian capital of Prusa, modern-day Bursa, and laid siege to it. The defenders held out valiantly thanks to a steady stream of supplies and reinforcements through their maritime connection with constantinople but the situation remained a stalemate for over a decade until in 1321 when the last port supply in prusa was captured by osman's forces osman however would not see the siege To completion, he died 1323, and his son Orhan would be the one to capture the city. Orhan succeeded his father as bey and further expanded the territory he inherited, going on to almost fully annex the region of Bithynia and arrive to the gates of Constantinople. Osman also has some domestic affairs made, but not that much, as for example Suleiman the. Magnificent about whom I will speak mm-hmm. a bit, little bit later But because Osman's administration drew heavily on the Seljuk model adopting their methods of warfare, emphasis on tribal relations, clothing and even an insignia appropriately gifted to him by a Seljuk sultan He used the techniques of the Seljuks to great effect possibly owing his success in battle proofs against the Byzantines. But actually the researchers say that after his death his legacy uh, survived long after His successor would build upon the foundations of his achievements taking what once was a humble area of pasture land and small settlements inhabited by nomads and transforming it into a mighty empire while osman himself did not have any grand accomplishments or glorious tales attributed to him as his successors would his memory would live on as the name of his empire now i will move without any pause to the next (laughs) and i think the most famous Ottoman uh, Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent.
1: Oh yes, my He's, favorite one. Yeah, he is also
0: <laughs> famous in Russia thanks to the series. Oh
1: yes, the, I think mm. the Magnificent mm. Century. I will try to say it in Turkish. Muhteşem <laughs> Yüzil.
0: With some French pronunciation.
1: yes, Valois influence.
0: But yeah, there is this series where they show the all the intrigues in, yes, the, in
1: the court, <laughs> court of yeah.
0: Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent.
1: But I would like to say that I don't like when they are trying to mix, you know, the history, the real facts and some imagination of the director or some other crew of the film. But what I loved, it was these great views of Turkey, Istanbul mm-hmm. and their suits were totally Totally amazing. I was just amused by it, but okay. So.
0: <laughs> so Suleiman the Magnificent, by name Suleiman the First or the Lawgiver, Turkish Suleiman Muhtesem. Or Kanuni, mm-hmm. Sultan of the Ottoman Empire from 1520 to 1566, who not only undertook bold military campaigns that enlarged his realm, but also oversaw the development of what came to be regarded as the most characteristic achievements of Ottoman civilization in the fields of law, literature, art, and architecture. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think... Yeah, the, for me the great ruler is not that who won all the wars and yeah. enlarged his country, like yeah, almost yeah. to all over the world, but I think the great ruler is also defined by the eternal affairs what he develops in his country and
1: yes and what his people are saying about him of course yes
0: and when art like literature and architecture prosper during your reign i think that's even better than you are having like great great war companies but suleiman managed to have both suleiman was the only son of Sultan Selim I, he -hmm. became Sanchak Bey, governor of Kaffa in Crimea, there is another connection with Russia, (laughs) during the reign of his grandfather Bayezid II and of Manija in Western Asia Minor in the reign of Selim I. Suleiman succeeded his father as Sultan in September 1520 and began his reign with campaigns against the Christian powers in Central Europe and the Mediterranean. Belgrade fell to him in 1521 and Rhodes, long under the rule of the Knights of St. John, in 1522 23. At Mohac, August 1526, Suleiman broke the military strength of Hungary, the Hungarian king Louis II losing his life in the battle. But actually the Hungarians before that were the first ones to stop the mighty Ottoman Empire army, that makes me really proud. But then nobody from the Western Europe, Eastern Europe or even maybe Rus'
1: empire (laughs) didn't
0: didn't come Mm -hmm. to help, Uh, the Ottoman Empire army regrouped and Mm -hmm. destroyed the Hungarian army completely. The vacant throne of Hungary was now claimed by Ferdinand I, the Habsburg Archduke of Austria and by John Janos Zapoya, who was Voivod, Lord of Transylvania, and the candidates of the native party opposed to the prospect of Habsburg rule. Suleiman agreed to recognize John as a vassal king of Hungary, and in 1529, hoping to remove at one blow all further interventions by the Habsburgs, he laid siege to Vienna. Difficulties of time and distance, and uh, of bad weather and lack of supplies, no less than the resistance of the Christians, forced the Sultans to raise the siege. The campaign was successful, however, in a more immediate sense, for John was to rule thereafter over most of Hungary until his death in 1540. A second great campaign in 1532 notable for the brilliant Christian defense of Gunz, ended as a mere foray into Austrian border territories. The sultan preoccupied with affairs in the east convinced that Austria was not to be overcome at one stroke granted a truce to the archduke Ferdinand in 1533. The death of John in 1540 and the prompt advance of Austrian forces once more into central Hungary drove Suleiman to modify profoundly the solution that he had imposed in the time of John. His campaigns of 1541 and 1543 led to the emergence of three distinct Hungaries Habsburg Hungary in the extreme north and west Ottoman Hungary and along the Middle Danube, a region under direct and permanent military occupation by the Ottomans and with its main center at Buda and Transylvania. (laughs) A vassal state dependent on the fort and the hands of John Sigismund, the son of John Zapoya. Uh, Between 1543 and 1562 the war in Hungary continued, broke by truce and with few notable changes on either side. The most important was the Ottoman capture of the Banat of Timisoara in 1532. After the long negotiation, a peace recognizing the status quo in Hungary was signed in 1562. There were a lot more other war campaigns, for example, against Persia. But I won't speak about them as much because I already said a lot about this Hungarian. I will only speak about domestic achievements and Suleiman, and then I will Speaking about the Ottomans. Okay. Suleiman surrounded his himself with administers and statesmen of unusual ability, men such as his Grand viziers, Chief Minister, Ibrahim Rustem and Mehmet Sokoluh, Ulama, specialist in Islamic law, notably Abu Al-Su'ud and Kemal Pasalzadeh.
1: Fantastic Turkish! Okay. <laughs> Thank you! I love
0: it! <laughs> <laughs> Made the period memorable as did the great Turkish poet Baki and the architect Sinan. Suleiman built strong fortresses to defend the place he took from the Christians and adorned the cities of the Islamic world including Mecca, Damascus and Baghdad with mosques, bridges Aqueducts and other public works. In general, Suleiman completed the task of transforming the previously Byzantine city of Constantinople into Istanbul, a worthy center for a great Turkish and Islamic empire. Also, Suleiman was known as. lawgiver he reformed the laws in the ottoman Mm -hmm, empire thanks to that he gave some freedom to the people who were doing the art and literature and architecture and rebuilding the cities have helped the architecture prosper but unfortunately after suleiman died Mm -hmm. all of this went downhill really quickly because the corrupt people who were after him and the really strict religion people they started to like finish all these reforms that he was mm-hmm. doing yeah. and unfortunately the ottoman empire started to decline after his death and the final thing that i would like to say i am also thankful to Suleiman, maybe that they didn't destroy the saint sophia mm-hmm. Church yes, in yes. istanbul that it still stands they only built minarets around it but they kept it because actually for the orthodox people it's really 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 important church because it's the matrix of all the churches or all the orthodox churches are built based on the saint sophia church and thanks the Suleiman that he acknowledged that and he decided not to destroy the Saint Sophia church but just build minarets and make it.
1: I think it's the great power of any politician or king or sultan if you are not destroying everything but you are trying to save something what was before you and you want to improve something that you are trying to create, something new. That's maybe the some kind of ideal idea but we see that some of political figures in the world could do that. So really, it was a cool review of uh, Turkish history, really. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, now I have such a mess in my head, but okay.
2: <laughs> i just add, uh, the, for the period the of Constantinople, I don't know if it's uh, linked with uh, the, uh, Sullivan, but uh, it was uh, now for being in uh, advance uh, in knowledge uh, mm-hmm. than uh, every country in uh, Europe, uh, really uh, before the, the fall of uh, Constantinople, it was uh, everything was uh, in progress and uh, it was now as uh, the, the best place for, for the knowledge. yeah
1: yeah. You know, my personal opinion is that it's for me, I don't want to offend any other countries or empires, but as for me there exist two empires great empires, which I think that they are, it's the Roman Empire and Ottoman Empire, really we can find the the items of Roman Empire everywhere all over the Europe and not only Europe, I think and Ottomans are also, they were influencing a lot of countries so Mm -hmm. that's Yes, we can find both of them I think everywhere (laughs) in European country and city and even town But okay, let's try to go back a bit We are going again in France and these uh, two centuries from 14th to 16th So this is the Valois dynasty, they were living before Bourbons And I would like to start actually with the book I've told you earlier It's actually the Threology Created by Alexandre Dumas, it was the Rain Margot and Madame de Montsoreau and 45 And this trilogy is actually um, talking about Valois. Of course the main idea, the main plot uh, is consisted of different items like love story and of course political intrigues etc but still uh, i will try to tell you about these people uh, of course through my prism and prism of my perception of this book and some historical facts so if you are talking about the book Book starts uh, with the love story. I'm talking about uh, Montsouro's story. Mm-hmm. So against the backdrop of all these palace intrigues, the ideal love between two people was shown there. And this love was between Diane de Meridor. She was forced to become the Countess de Monsoreau and Noble Count Debussy. It was first hero of my heart. So he was close to the Duke of Anjou, François. And trying to free the lady of the heart of the imposed marriage with Montsoreau, Debussy was trying to make her free. That's how the novel develops this idea. But uh, we know that all these people were true, so this Count de Montsoreau was true, Count Debussy was true. And of course, all the kings were the truths. So, Henry III, his brother Francois, of course, their powerful mother, Nicotinia Medici, and some other characters, as for example, Jester Chico, who was also a very important figure in all this play and also Game of Thrones. So, that's uh, actually the story of Henry III. Henry Valois and he was the last king of this dynasty, unfortunately But let's try to find the roots of this dynasty So the story began in 14th century By the beginning of the 14th century France lived for long years in strong feudal fragmentation And in fact it was just a conglomerate of semi-independent feudal states And as you said, Yuan, yes, so we had like kings of these states and we didn't have like yes the whole country, but France has become through the effort of the last kings of Capitan dynasty more or less centralized state. And since that, the country introduced like uniform laws based on Roman law. By the way, again <laughs> yes, the influence of Roman Empire and of course common governing bodies. So now king could rule relying on these vassals and lawyers. So, the Paris Parliament, the Supreme Court and the Court of Auditors. And the king was convened by the king on general matters of state, congress of representatives from all the free classes of the country. King Philip IV, the beautiful, who ruled in thirteenth, fourteenth century, he managed to subordinate even the Roman Catholic torch to his will and it was also very important, yeah. That's how France managed to calm the whole state. And at the very last of the Capitans dynasty, they successfully ruled in France. There were sons Philip the Fourth, Louis the Tenth, Philip the Fifth and Charles the Sixth and unfortunately none of them left male heirs. and this dynasty which was ruling for 300 years unfortunately unexpectedly suppressed Who came after Capetings? The wife of Charles IV who died in 1328 she was pregnant and Philippe the Count of the Valois region so again Yon thank you for your explanations so this is the region in Ile-de-France near Paris. Philip was appointed as regent as an interim ruler of France. That's how Valois came to France as a dynasty. And after that peaceful life in the kingdom continued after nine years. And in October 1337, the king of England, Edward III, who actually belonged to the late Philip, the beautiful native grandson, so he was kind of relative to Capitin's dynasty, he declared war on the first king of Valois. (laughs) And that's how France again got into this war trouble and no one expected that but that's how this hundred-year war started between England and France and Philippe had to conclude a truce with Edward but before the deadline of this expired the first king of the Valois dynasty died after Philip, his son John II, the good, got the throne, and he got a country actually with a treasury devastated by military spending, war rewards, northern and western territories, and the country grew embittered by the increase in taxes, so France was flooded with numerous robber gangs.
2: And uh, just one point uh, you have to know that uh, the dynasty of Valois was uh, during the war of uh, 100 uh, years. Yes.
1: Yes, 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 And
2: uh, it was really a conflict uh, period with uh, also the pest. And the pest have uh, killed uh, the half of uh, the European uh, population. Then, yeah, yes, just, yes, uh,
1: you are right. Yes, that's the true, And that I also mentioned, yes, this 100-year war was really exhausting for all the countries. So let's try to move on. <laughs> and I will try <laughs> not to make you feel confused, dear listeners. So after Philip Valois, his son, John II, the good take the throne and what is very important in this period of time that he got the country after another awful event before his reign The part of Europe was under the black death, you know, this Euro-Asian pandemic, yes. So that was an awful thing because that period of time the church actually lost its power because uh, priests not only couldn't stop the spread of these epidemics, but they actually died themselves. That's why since that uh, the power of church was decreased. So what I would like to say that actually each uh, king of the dynasty gets the country not like the brilliant one but with some troubles and as we see they have lots of enemies like when you got the throne you should be ready that everyone will try to kill you, to deceive you, to prepare some intrigue for you So from 14th century we will move to 16th so we will skip a bit of history I want to go to Henry III, the last king of Valois dynasty But before that I also would like to mention the reign of Louis 12th. So, in the reign of Louis XII, the royal government, in order not to increase the taxation of the population, began to borrow funds for special state needs from a wealthy city elite, and as well as from banks in Switzerland and Italy, and the successor of Louis XII, his cousin, François I began his reign with the war with Italy. Under him in France there was an intensive development of culture and art associated with this renaissance period. This period of reign of François I looked like years of peace, prosperity and prospectiveness. But, However, at that time some disputes began to sprout in the country from which the era of new heavy troubles would grow later. So I'm talking about Christianian theologian and lawyer Jean Calvin. So he began to take his philosophy and that's how this war between Protestants and Catholics has begun. So since that, the persecution of Protestants began and the son of Francois I, Henry II, started the persecution of Protestants. And the same, he achieved actually great success in the foreign policy policy field. He took the part of the territories from the Holy Roman Empire bordering france in the east and in 1558 the french took the last stronghold of the english on the continent of the coastal city of calais so calais was uh, for years for them like this thing they couldn't divide between them and in 1559 Henry ii was seriously wounded so um, he died unfortunately and his son François II got the throne, but actually he was very poor in his health. So François II died a year later. After his death the throne was taken by his 10-year-old brother Charles IX. That's the time to talk about my favorite story about Charles IX and his brother Henry III and about of course their powerful mother Catherine de' Medici. We know that Catherine de' Medici belonged to a wealthy Italian family and she relied on Giza in the reign and they were, which like well, was, uh, the branch of Capitingus, so Capeting clan, and therefore, in the event of the suppression of the ruling dynasty, had real prospects of taking the throne. So we can see how many people wanted to get the throne, especially <laughs> yes, based on the fact that Charles the Ninth was not ready to rule. So as you said earlier about Louis the Sixteenth, Charles the Ninth was not ready just because he had very weak health. So Charles the Ninth was not distinguished by the flexibility of mind and prudence necessary for a politician. So even after he came of the age, the main burden of government of course remained on the shoulders of his queen mother. Charles the Ninth, like his elder brother, who was also non distinguished by good health died in 1574 and in that time the french throne should have passed to francois lansonski francois lansons was his brother also but henry iii has like has retaken the throne because of the influence of their mother catherine medici Henry III actually was the king of Polish region at this time but Medici just didn't want Francois to get the throne so that's how we can see all these uh, games are working If we are coming back to the book of Alexander Dumas in this book Henry III was shown as a capricious, religious man with no talent for government affairs. He surrounds himself with favorites, like minions, as he said, and the most noticeable men, which were Kilius, Mujeron, Schomberg, Depernon. And François-Alphanjou, his brother, was his main enemy in this book. And after the death of Charles IX, the throne was to go to François, because Henry was already elected the king of the Poland. But as a result of his mother's intrigues, his older brother fled from Poland to seize power in France. But what about real character, real Henry III? I would like to say that after the deaths of Francois there was no to transfer the throne and Henry III is represented in the novel by a pampered and indecisive ruler but in general he was a pretty good king so many troubles, wars and large number of enemies fell on his shoulders And actually Henry III tried to get rid of these enemies all his life But still he was a good king, he was a great ruler And in the last period of his reign he even entered into an alliance with Navarra Of course with whom he managed to deal it was with Duke de Guise adjusting the murder of the duke but this didn't stop his main opponent at that time so it was the catholic league and now we should also remember this war between catholics and protestants and unfortunately Henry III was assassinated by a listless monk because Henry III didn't have any children that's how the Valois dynasty gave way to the Bourbon dynasty And his brother Francois, he also died childless, so that's why the time of Valois was ended.
2: Yes, and uh, just uh, I can add uh, you should uh, start uh, before because uh, the Valois was before the Bourbon. Oh, yes. (laughs) The the end of uh, Henri III is the beginning of uh, the Yes,
1: of Bourbon. Bourbon Yeah.
2: And uh, also with the Guerre of uh, Religion, you have the massacre of uh, Saint Barthélemy, uh-huh. mm-hmm. where a lot of uh, protestants were yes. uh, murderers, and it was yeah. really black, dark, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. dark week. And uh, the difference uh, between uh, the Valois and the De Bourbon is the Valois was uh, really more uh, local, the reign was uh, more local, and yeah. they, they was not uh, powerful as the uh, Bourbon the beginning of the Bourbon is the beginning of uh, the Absolutism, the fact to say that the boy cannot be contested mm. and so the Valois were not so uh, powerful as the Bourbon and uh, it was also a more difficult period with the war of uh, 100 years and the Guerre of religion and uh, also uh, the war, war means uh, Guerre in French, sorry, yes, uh, with yes. the war of uh, 100 years with the war in Italy and with the war in religion and uh, straight the difference.
1: Yes, you're right, Yvonne, thank you. I would like just to talk about one more, my favorite character. It was Chico and Chico also was a real person. In the book, he was shown as very nobleman and very clever and in fact he was. He was a Gascon nobleman named Antoine Angleret and he really was but unofficial gesture of the but even more, Chicot was the friend and the advisor to Henry III and also not exaggerated in his fencing skill. So, in addition, I would like to say that there is historical evidence that Chicot allegedly wanted to settle his accounts with the Duke of Mayenne for the beating received. And in real life, not only in the book, he managed to do this. So after the death of Henry III which by the way she called he really took it too serious and he was very close with his king. So after that he went on the service of the next king Henry of Navarra, Bourbons. And uh, during one of the campaigns along with Henry IV, she captured Count Chevigny. Chevigny was a relative of the Duke Mayenne and thus he has taken revenge on the beach Meetings with uh, Lorraine's house. But the life of Shakur was ended very tragical because introducing Chauvigny to the king, Chikurt said, “I give you the captive who is actually my captive. And Cavan Chauvigny was so offended by this fact. in the rage he hit Shakur into his head and this blow was fatal for Shakur. So that's how the life of very intelligent and amazing person was ended. But still, what I would like to say that we can see all the dynasties has their power, their influence, but still they have their own problems. How to mm-hmm. manage with all this political stuff, as we say wars, 100 war for example, as Turkish uh, dynasty was trying to expand their influence, and mm. inside the court they had a lot of enemies who wanted to take their throne. So, what do you think, guys, about all this political stuff? <laughs> what was the maybe the most important thing connected to the stories of our dynasties we were talking about? Well, today? I
0: think these intrigues are not only around dynasties, but I think it's they start to appear around this guy who has the absolute power because people want power for example we can take stalin after his death a lot of people wanted to take the power that he harnessed yeah so i think when you have the dynasty you need to find this balance between the power that you have and the power that you give to the to people for example like the windsor dynasty Mm -hmm. Mm founded nowadays, and we can see Queen Elizabeth II, one of the, I think, popular people <laughs> in the world. Yeah, but if you can't find that balance, if you take a lot of power or you give a lot of power, your you dynasty,
2: fight. your empire mm-hmm. will crumble. Yeah, for me the, the problem is the, the origin of uh, the legitimacy of uh, the Poi, mm-hmm. because uh, everything was uh, the only uh, rule that uh, was uh, the right one, it was the law of the blood. And so mm-hmm. the contestation uh, come uh, with uh, this idea that the blood uh, is not the, the right blood. And uh, so people say, ah, I am uh, from uh, this, uh, king mm-hmm. and so yeah. it's, uh, it's my boy, and, uh, and so the, the, the conflict uh, starts. And uh, a good uh, king during this, uh, all this uh, dynasty period, it was a king that was recognized uh, as a king. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's oh, a yes, by
1: people. Yeah. By because
2: people. Uh, for what uh, Julia has said, uh, the Valois dynasty was really uh, in contestation uh, because uh, of this uh, law of uh, blood, and a lot of people say uh, that yeah. was, they were not in, uh, in legitimacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I think we can uh, conclude. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So thank you guys, it was really an interesting discussion And I hope that not too heavy for our listeners <laughs> Yeah, but we really wanted to share some historical facts in our own opinion And see you in a week We wish you not to have any wars between your neighbors, relatives in your, <laughs> Yes, in your families So take care and see you later Stay tuned on Murshtar FM Goodbye
0: Bye-bye Do you want to be aware of what happens in this crazy war we live in? Do you want to know about all the political scandals and listen to some unbiased analysis? Welcome to World of Politics, the program where your opinion matters. Every Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM.